save. He is mighty to save forever. Author of salvation, heroes and conquered the grave. Jesus conquered the grave. So take me as you find me. All my fears and failures and my life again. I give my life to follow and everything I believe in. Now I surrender. Yes, I surrender. Savior, He can move the mountains. My God is mighty to save. He is mighty to save forever. Author of salvation, He rose and conquered the grave. Jesus conquered the grave. So shine your light and let the whole world see. We're singing for the glory of the risen King. Jesus, shine your light and let the whole world see. We're singing for the glory of the risen King. He's my Savior. He can move the mountains. My God is mighty to save. He is mighty to save forever. Author of salvation. He rose and conquered the grave. Jesus conquered the grave. Savior, He can move the mountains. My God is mighty to save. He is mighty to save and forever. Author of salvation. He rose and conquered the grave. Jesus conquered the grave. Good morning. Good morning. I want to welcome you to Northside today. Glad that you are here on this, uh, I guess February is, is now here. So, uh, so we're, we're uh, glad that you're here today and uh, brave the cold weather. Hopefully we don't get snowed in this morning. Uh, but we're delighted that you're worshiping with us today. If you're a guest, know we're uh, especially glad you're taking time to be with us today. We hope you'll take time to tear off the tab on the side of the bulletin, fill out your information, drop in the offering plate, or give it to a staff member in just a little bit when you leave. Uh, we'd appreciate the opportunity to learn more about you and be able to tell you more about who we are here at Northside. Right now we're going to take a moment to greet each other. If you see someone you don't recognize or maybe you haven't seen in a while, go say hello and we'll continue worshiping together here in just a moment.
If you'll find your way back towards your assigned seats. He became sin who knew no sin that we might become his righteousness. He humbled himself and carried the cross. Love so amazing. Love so amazing. Jesus Messiah.
can defend thee. Surely his goodness and mercy here daily attend thee. Ponder anew what the Almighty can do if with his love he Lord, we sang this morning about what you've done for us. Uh, Father, I pray that in the, in the world we live in today that that would weigh particularly heavy because uh, there's no way we can ever repay it. There's no way we can meet the standard. But at the same time, Lord, we thank you that you, you provide, you've taken care of that. Um, our Savior died a criminal's death uh, on a cross for a debt that we couldn't pay and that debt that, the death that we deserved. Uh, Fathers, we just give back a little bit of what you've given to us, Lord. Uh, bless us with cheerful giving and sacrificial hearts uh, and just help us to absorb your message today and put it to practice we ask these things in jesus holy name amen creation would bring a worship offering but through our selfish wrongs we chose a different song but through your power came a way for us to be saved and rise to new heights so now we shout it out we lift our voice on
invite the kids. Well, hello. Can I sit here? All right. All right. Well, good morning, boys and girls. How's everybody doing today? You're all doing well? Well, good. Well, I have in my hands a, uh, a, little, bit of a little bit of a trick here, okay? So uh, this is called, the, this is called the, the disobedient heart, okay? So the disobedient heart, it actually listens to commands, okay? So it knows a couple of commands. Uh, for instance, it knows the command middle, and it knows the command bottom, okay? So I need a volunteer to give the disobedient heart a command. Go ahead, Hannah, give it a command. Middle. Middle, you sure? Let's try again. Somebody give the disobedient heart a command. Give it, give it a command. Uh, bottom. bottom, you sure? It didn't, did it? Let's try again. Somebody else give it a command. What's a command, Elena? You, you think bottom? You sure? Let's see. What did it do? That thing is crazy. You got one? What do you got, Eli? Top. Well, it doesn't, it doesn't know that command. Or does it? What in the world? Let's see if I can do it. Let's see if I can do it. Let's say. Let's see if I can make it. Let's see if I can make it obey. Middle. Go on to the bottom. Let's try again. How about bottom? Let's try one more time. Let's see. How about middle? bottom. Now, let's see. It even knows fast and slow, right? So I can tell it to go fast, right? You see how fast it went? It almost jerked the chain out of my hand. Look at this. And then I can tell it to go slow. Watch. Watch. Let's tell it to go really slow. You know what's really frustrating? Is when you ask someone to, someone that's supposed to be obedient, and they're not right? Like, ch- like children sometimes, right? Children sometimes can be, can be disobedient. Are children supposed to be obedient or disobedient to their parents? Children are supposed to be obedient to their parents. That's what the Bible says. The Bible says children obey your parents. In fact, that's which commandment? It's the fifth commandment that we're supposed to be obedient to our parents and we're to honor our father and our mother. Yet sometimes as kids, we don't always do that. And just like you guys were kind of getting a little frustrated that the heart wouldn't do what you asked it to do, imagine how your parents feel when their children don't do what they ask them to do, right? And that's a biblical command. Now, this is a trick, and I know the secret, but you don't. But... It's a biblical command for us to be obedient to our moms and dads. And so let's do what the Bible says and not be like our our disobedient heart that doesn't like to follow directions, but be what the Bible wants us to be, and that's obedient children that listen to our moms and dads. Okay, let's pray together. Lord, thank you for a, a trick to help us understand how important it is to be obedient to our parents, Lord. God, your word is very clear with us of how we should act, how we should obey, how we should honor our moms and dads 
Lord, we know that as we honor our moms and dads, so we honor Jesus. May we be obedient to you and to our parents at all times. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you, guys. Praise him, praise him, Jesus our blessed Redeemer. Sing, O earth, his wonderful love proclaim. Hail him, hail him, highest archangel in glory. Strength and honor give to his holy name. Like a shepherd, Jesus will guard his children in his arms. Carries him all day long. Praise him, praise him, tell of his excellent greatness. Praise him, praise him, ever in joyful song. Praise him, praise him, Jesus our blessed Redeemer. For our sins he suffered and bled and died. He our rock. Our hope of eternal salvation. Hail him, hail him, Jesus the crucified. Sound his praises, Jesus who bore our sorrows. Love unbounded, wonderful, deep, and strong. Praise him, praise him, tell of his excellent greatness. Praise him, praise him. Ever in joyful song. Praise him, praise him, Jesus our blessed Redeemer. Heavenly portals loud with hosannas ring. Jesus, Savior, reigneth forever and ever. Crown him, crown him, prophet and priest and king. Christ is coming over the world victorious power and glory unto the lord belong praise him praise him tell of his excellent greatness praise him praise him ever in joyful song please remain standing as we share god's word together this morning from ephesians chapter 6 ephesians chapter 6 I'll be reading verses 1 through 4, Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment, with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you that it teaches us and instructs us not just how we should live as in our marriages and as husband and wife, Lord, but it teaches us how we should live our lives as parents and children. God, may we learn to be obedient um, to our parents. May we learn to be obedient to those in authority over us. We thank you for these things. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. Just uh just a quick reminder, uh, if you have trick-or-treaters coming by your house on uh, Tuesday night to celebrate the 500th anniversary of the Protestant Reformation, we have got some tools to help you in that task. Uh, we've got these, these cards. There's a few of them left. They're bundled in bundles of 50. These cards are out on the welcome desk there. Um, we got about 2,500 of them, so hoping to give all these out. 
And what's going to happen is you're going to take a piece of good candy. I have to emphasize that. I posted a link on Facebook. If you don't know what good candy is, I posted a link to the church's Facebook page to help you know what good candy is, to sort of help you gauge that. If you don't have Facebook, you can come find me, and I'll share that, uh, I'll share that link with you because it's very important that you understand that. Put good candy on here, just a piece of tape and a piece of good candy. You can put in a little sandwich bag if, you'd, if you're opposed to tape or something like that. We're not, we're not uh, picky about that. And then as a child comes up and says, Happy Protestant Reformation Day, can I have some candy to celebrate? Then you can drop that little card in their little goodie bag there. And then when they get home, I love the idea they're going to take that card out because they're not really interested in the card. They're interested in that good piece of candy you put on there. Okay? Yeah, that's why it's got to be good candy. If it's trash candy, they're just going to throw the whole thing away. But if it's good candy, they're going to take that card out, and they're going to have to take that piece of candy off the card, and then they've got this cool-looking picture of the inside of a pumpkin that they have to deal with. So, and it's got, some, uh, it's got our uh, website and stuff on there. We're going to have a landing page on our website, so when you go to NBCNoonan.org, you see this, uh, you see this graphic, so you kind of know where to go, and there'll be some, some information there for them when they go to our website. So, so do take advantage of that. Uh, like I said, we've got 2,500 of these cards. We gave out a bunch of them last weekend, but we've got a few more left out there. So do be sure to take advantage of that for your trick-or-treaters. It's the only day of the year that your neighbors are coming to your house and they're not looking to borrow something from you or, or, or be irritating neighbors. They're coming because they want candy from you, and you're blessed to be able to help them with that. You know, it seems that there's a lot more movies about husbands and wives or princes and princesses living happily ever after than anything else. But we know that with any marriage, well, there comes the longing for children. And most couples will pursue child-rearing either through natural birth or through adoption. That's the normal process of things. And we understand, of course, that the process of having and raising children... uh, It's one of those actions that we engage in as human beings that remind us of what it's like to be created in the image and likeness of our Creator. Because in the the process of of having and rearing children, we actually see a, a little bit of that divine spark. Because that's what God has done in creating us. We create life after our own image. And so we really do connect with this idea that God is our Creator. The Bible teaches us that children are indeed a blessing. In fact, biblically, the teaching is the more the merrier. And I know that some of you may have more and you think it's not very merry, but the biblical teaching is that, is that you ought to have a whole bunch of them. Um, you ought to have as many as you can, as, as many as you can handle. And so, uh, so go have fun with that. Um, interestingly enough, our world today doesn't see children in the same light. Our world today doesn't embrace children in that same idea. We see this in many subtle and some not-so-subtle clues in our culture. On the not-so-subtle side, we recognize that we are living in a virtual holocaust that makes Hitler look like a humanitarian as we murder an average of 2,000 babies per day due to government-sanctioned extermination of our own citizens. It makes no sense that we allow this, continue to allow this. However, more subtly, we see reports published by various government agencies warning us about the cost of raising children. The USDA reported in a recent uh, study that it cost the average middle-class family about $234,000 to raise a child from infancy to adulthood. (laughs) 
those who are pregnant just uh, just got nervous because they didn't see this study. <laughs> Whoa. Regardless, that's still a, that's a discouraging statistic to publish when you think about it. While there are many factors to consider, of course, the reality is that our nation as a whole is having far fewer children than it once did. In fact, the world as a whole is having lower and lower birth rates. The only nation or the only geographic region that seems to be having higher than, than higher birth rates than anyone else is, is Africa. Um, in fact, the birth rate in the United States is lower than it has ever been. In 2015, the fertility rate was 1.84 babies per fertile woman. Now, what does that mean? That means that, that as a nation, we are having fewer babies than we can actually replenish ourselves with. And so in order for a nation to maintain its population, it has to have a birth rate or fertility rate of 2.1. And we are at 1.84, which means that, that we're not replacing our citizens. And so we, now this is a problem. And you say, well, we've got too many people. You listen to some of that stuff. We don't have too many people. That's, that's liberalism that's crying out and speaking into your mind. We don't have too many people in the world. The problem is, is with a birth rate that's so low, it has staggering consequences, particularly from an economic perspective. For you Gen Xers and millennials, if you're counting on the Ponzi scheme known as Social Security, your only hope is that you have lots more kids than you currently have. Your only hope is that you have lots more kids than you currently have because the Ponzi scheme called Social Security is dependent upon a growing population. And if the population is not growing, you won't have anything in that little bank account that you're counting on one day. So if you're a Gen X or a millennial and you want that Social Security, you better start having more children and teaching them how to get good jobs and work really hard. Now let's be completely honest. Raising children is not for the faint of heart. Today's parents have a tremendous amount of challenging obstacles that parents a generation ago didn't face. But parenting has never been easy. I find that as the parent of a teenager, I am one of the dumbest human beings on the face of the planet. I've heard, however, that in about 10 years, I will gain superhuman intelligence. And I'm looking forward to that day. Every generation, however, has its own set of issues. For instance, in the 1930s, listen to this, the United States had a child mortality rate pushing 10%. This means that 10% of children under age 5 perished in the 1930s. 10%. Today, the, morta- the child mortality rate is, is 0.6%, unless, of course, you add in the unborn, and then you have to deal with the staggering realization that 20% of our children are dying before they ever breathe their first breath. That's how high our abortion rate is. Parenting in the digital age has potholes for kids today that adults never had to face. When we were children, in order to get that young lady's attention, you had to pass a note and work hard to conceal that note. Uh, In church, remember when notes were passed in church? Pastors today don't ever have to worry about notes being passed in church because you're on your digital device, and I assume you're taking rigorous notes from the sermon on your digital device, when in fact, the reality is, is you're likely passing digital notes to one another, and today there's applications for phones where those digital notes vanish into thin air. Parents know what your kids have on their phones because Instagram, Snapchat, they can send all sorts of things via these, these, these applications, and moms and dads, you don't ever know it was sent. 
parenting today with this digital age has lots of challenges. Uh, To be honest, when I hear some of the nonsense that's being promulgated to this generation of children, there are many days where I envy hearing my grandparents tell me their stories of when they grew up in the 30s and 40s, and I wish my kids had those same experiences. The, the, the challenges that our grandparents faced were, were so, are certainly interesting to hear, but some of those challenges seem to be far easier to overcome than the dangers and the perils that lurk in every pocket today. You know, we talked about in marriage that there's a God-designed platform, a God-designed pattern that helps us keep things in the proper perspective. It's, it's order as God has designed it. There was an order that was put in place prior to the fall. Remember this idea that, that, that husbands submit to your wives, wives, or husbands love your wives, wives submit to your husbands. This is not a, a consequence of the fall. This wasn't something that God said, oh, they messed up. Now I'm going to have to put something in place to keep them under control. This was something that was in place prior to the fall. So this wasn't a, a plan B. This wasn't something that God came up with to try to manage our sinfulness. This was something that God put in place in perfection that we have since tainted and messed with. There was an order that was put in place prior to the fall, and that order was usurped during the fall, and the consequences are dire. One of those consequences is what we talk about today, this proverbial battle between the sexes. But another consequence is that the disorder between husbands and wives, men and women, that disorder that's there extends further than just the husband and wife relationship. It extends to the parent-child relationship as well. I'm sure you've noticed that if you're a parent, your child has a tendency to reject your authority. Right? Newsflash, right? Your child has a tendency to reject your authority. Now, sometimes it's overt. I will not clean my room. I will not come inside. I will not eat my vegetables. Sometimes it's overt. Sometimes that rejection is more covert. Does anyone have any passive-aggressive children? Right? Passive-aggressive children. It's a little more covert. They, uh... They may do what they want to do. Uh, at our house, we talk about this thing called delayed obedience. Does anybody have this? Where delayed obedience, where eventually obedience happens, eventually the thing gets done, but, but where as mom and dad, we expect there to be a beeline between point A and point B, it's sometimes more like a, a, well, a, a zigzag line, a, a, like a squirrel chasing something. You know, it's all over the place trying to get to point be. It's a little more covert. Even good kids have bad tendencies. If you're one of those parents who think that your kid never does anything wrong, well, we're all praying for you. (laughs) Children, again, newsflash, children are sinners in small packages, okay? Children are sinners in small packages. They all are, And even when our children in that precious time give their life to the Lord, they, like you, are still working out their salvation in fear and trembling, and they're still trying to understand what it means to walk with the Lord and be obedient to the Lord. There is disorder as a result of the fall. However, in Christ, we are reclaiming that order. 
in Christ, that's the blessing of, of, the, of this Christian thing, we are reclaiming the order that was turned over in the fall. And so there is in the Christian home a, a precious thing when a husband loves his wife as Christ loves the church and when a wife submits to that godly husband's leadership. It is a precious thing. And it is a precious thing when we reclaim the order where children listen to their parents and where parents parent from a godly perspective. It is a blessed thing that we do in Christ here as we reclaim the order that God has designed. And when we talk about the parenting relationship, we understand that just like in marriage, we see this same pattern of submission and sacrifice. Now, Paul uses some slightly different terms, but the application is the same. So what does Paul say here? He says, children, obey your parents. This is the submission piece. When you have to obey anyone, you are required to submit to them. Maybe you have to obey a law enforcement officer who's directing traffic. You submit to him. If you don't submit to that law enforcement officer directing traffic, it's not going to go well for you. When you obey someone's order, you are submitting to their authority. And children are to obey their parents. They are to submit themselves to their parents' authority. And this is not a new instruction. This is not something that Paul decided, I'm going to come up with a radical new idea, a radical new plan to help there be order and control in the home. Instead, Paul goes all the way back to the Ten Commandments. He's restating almost verbatim the original commandment that we receive in Scripture. This is not Dr. Spock or Sigmund Freud. This is, in fact, Moses. Long before Long before Focus on the Family ever told us how to raise a strong-willed child, Moses told us long before that book was ever written how this should work. Children, honor your father and your mother. Children, obey your parents. This is the fifth commandment. And it's a commandment that God takes seriously. You know what's interesting about the fifth commandment? First of all, it makes when you count them, it makes that hand, and that's useful sometimes. But you think about the commandments. You, you know the first four, no other gods, no idols. God's name is holy, keep the Sabbath. We, we know the first four, and we know the last, um, well, we're short one on the screen. No, it's up there. It's not on that screen back there. So don't kill, don't steal, no adultery, no false witnessing, no coveting. We're, we're, we know those. Now, in the middle, I left off the, the fifth one, which is honor, and your, honor your father and your mother. It's interesting, the first set of commandments deal with this vertical relationship between us and God. How we are to, how we are to, to have, be in a right relationship with God. It, it deals with us not having idols and things like that. We know the latter set of, of those commandments deal with our horizontal relationships with each other. If you want to have good relationships with other people, well, don't do any of those things, right? Right? Well, what's the fifth one? Well, the fifth one is honor your father and your mother. Now, does this deal with human relationships? It does. It deals with the, the, some of the most intimate relationships between child and parent. But guess what? It also deals with our relationship with the Lord. How often do you find a child that has a rebellious attitude towards his parents that also has a thriving walk with God? It doesn't happen. Show me a child who is rebellious towards his parents 
and I will show you a child that does not have a thriving relationship with God. The thing is about, about the fifth commandment is it really works like a bridge between the two, where it not only talks about our horizontal relationships, but it also speaks to our vertical relationship with God as well. And this is what Paul is drawing us back to, this notion of honoring our parents, of being obedient to our parents. One of the most important lessons that kids have to learn today is that how we submit to temporal authority is a reflection on how we submit to God's ultimate authority. Now, Romans chapter 13, verses 1 and 2 speaks to this. It says, Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. For there's no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed. And those who resist will incur judgment. You see, Paul's instructions to the Romans is to be subject to the authority that you're under. Be subject to that authority. Of course, the exception is when that authority asks you to violate your faith in God. I mean, there's that exception that's always there. But be subject to those that have authority over you. Why? Because if you reject the authority that God's put in place, you're rejecting, you're rejecting Him. You're rejecting Him. You see, this is why the, the fifth commandment is the commandment with a promise. What generally happens to the person who rebels against his or her parents? It usually doesn't go well, does it? I'm, I'm hard-pressed to come up with anybody who, who has an outright rebellion against mom and dad that things go well for them. It typically doesn't. The stories are not good. The best one can hope for is this prodigal moment where that rebellious child looks at his circumstances and says, this stinks. I'd be better off as a slave in my mom and dad's house than I would be in the situation that I'm in now. And they come back with repentance and desire to, 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 to restore that relationship. Well, again, just like in marriage, this idea of submission has its limits. If a parent asks a child to violate faith in Jesus, then obviously that can't happen. If a parent is abusing a child, that child should not have to be subject to that, should be protected from that abuse. As I've said from the beginning, biblical submission occurs within the boundaries of God's laws and with the boundaries of God's structures. However, even a child who is a believer has an obligation to be obedient to non-believing parents. Even a child, we see that in youth ministry where a kid gets saved and the parents don't. Well, that child still has to be submissive to the parental authority until the parental authority crosses God's authority. Now keep in mind, this is not a one-sided issue. It's not just about kids. Because Paul also speaks to fathers specifically. I believe, though, this command applies to both parents. And what does he say? Don't provoke your child to anger. Honestly, how many of us have perfected the art of angering our children? Now I'm not talking about embarrassment. I believe embarrassment is to always be appropriate because it teaches children to be humble. Uh, I hope to always embarrass my children as long as I can. Uh, as long as I don't anger them. As long as I don't anger them. Uh, dads, you have carte blanche permission to embarrass your children. Okay, uh, It's limited only by how much you can tolerate yourself. Um, so, so it's limited only by your pride. Paul's command is not to don't embarrass your children, it's don't provoke your child to anger. I'm going to be honest, I know how to anger my children. 
I can anger my children. I know the button to push. I know how to flip the switch. And I can escalate them from zero to anger in 0.7 seconds. I can. Uh, You probably can too. You know how to escalate them. Now, for, for example, I'm not at all opposed to spanking. Okay? I think we today have some sort of chronological snobbery where we think we're smarter than all the folks who've come before us and we somehow think that all those people who spanked their children for 2,000 years got it wrong and we suddenly are enlightened enough to think that we, we, we're smarter than them. I don't believe that at all. Uh, at all. Spanking has been an effective disciplinary tool for a long time. However, we learned in my house, particularly my oldest child, that spanking was not working. Because spanking was angering him. It was, it was provoking him to rage. And that's not accomplishing what discipline is designed to accomplish. Uh, for some children, it works. For him, we realized that it was not working. And so we had to find a more efficient and effective means of discipline. I'm kind of liking this, this he likes to drive thing. I'm kind of liking this because there is an effective tool now that uh, a desirable tool, a desirable thing that can be withdrawn from from him. So I, I'm kind of enjoying that that whole thing. Now, when he actually can drive on his own, I may not like it as much, but right now it's kind of interesting. Parents, the measure of effective discipline is not how angry you've made your child. That's not the measure of effective discipline. Just because you made them storm out of the room and slam the door doesn't mean that you actually won. We need to consider what the Lord's discipline is of us and what His desired outcome actually is. When we are disciplined by the Lord, His desire is not to make us angry and overcome with rage at Him. That's not what God's desire is for us when we are under discipline from the Lord. When God disciplines us, His desire is to correct our behavior and call us back to Him with penitent hearts. When God disciplines us, He wants us to be repentant. That's what His desire is for discipline. Parents, when we think of discipline, we must always remember the goal of discipline should be restorative, not punitive. We're not looking to to smash their spirits into the ground because we win. We're looking to restore them, to help them see that they're in error and help them grow beyond that error. If you find that your discipline is not changing their hearts, then you might need to prayerfully consider how you might need to tweak that discipline, as we had to. Likewise, if your discipline is a reaction to your own anger, you're treading on dangerous ground. At a a good friend who told me that before he'd spank his kids, he would go pray. Because he didn't want to spank his kids out of anger. He didn't want to respond to his own anger because his own anger was sinful and he would lash out in anger and hurt his kids more than he needed to. And so he'd go pray before he would. Here's the thing. As Christian parents, we have one job. We have one job. Paul says our one job is to raise our children in the fear and discipline of the Lord, the instruction and discipline of the Lord. That's what he says our job is. Proverbs chapter 22, verse 6 says, Train up a child in the way he should go, and even when he's old, he will not depart from it. 
over and over again in Scripture, we see this command to make sure that we are passing our faith on to the next generation. And that's where the sacrifice comes in. You see, the submission piece is for them. They submit to the authority that's placed over them, but the sacrifice falls on moms and dads and grandparents because it's hard to make sure you're doing that. It requires sacrifice to make sure you're doing that. It requires prioritization to make sure that you're doing that. And can I just say this? It doesn't happen naturally because everything in the world has organized itself to to be opposed to that. Satan does not want us communicating our faith to our children, and the world is constantly at work trying to keep that from happening. But this is our calling, this is our one instruction. What's the root word of discipline? It's disciple. It's disciple. Think for just a minute how much time we invest in making sure that our kids are as prepared as they can be from an academic standpoint. Think about it. How How much time is spent? Make sure you do your homework. Make sure you studied for the test. Make sure that you're ready for school. And we do everything. We spend how much time making sure that our kids are prepared academically? I'm not suggesting we shouldn't do that. Think of how much time and how much effort and how much money we spend to give our kids all the extracurricular activities that are available. I mean, if your kid is bored today, (laughs) I don't see how. Because there are 110,000 different things that your kid can be involved in today. I, I mean, you, they can be involved in everything from, from, from soccer and football and gymnastics and karate and volleyball and band and basket weaving. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. And think of how much time and effort we spend investing in those things. And again, I'm not suggesting that we shouldn't. All of this, why do we do this? Why do we make sure that our kids at football practice or at band practice or at volleyball practice or, or why do we make sure that our kids at karate practice, why do we do all this? Because we believe that by investing in these things, we are preparing our children for the next stage in their life. We spend all the time doing athletics because we're hoping Hoping that some college recruiter says, come, come go to college here for free and play your sport at our school. We're hoping that happens. We're, we're hoping that they learn something in, in some activity that will help them in their adult life. We do all of these things to prepare our kids for the next stage of life to help them be well-rounded and well-educated. No problem there. But our command from Scripture is to make sure that we raise our kids in the instruction and discipline of the Lord. I'm not suggesting for a moment that we don't educate our kids or give our children opportunities to to develop their talents and skills. But we need to ask ourselves a very important question. What do we spend more time doing? Preparing our kids for adulthood We're preparing our kids for eternity. I think we've got this switched around. What if we were to take more time preparing our kids for eternity than we take preparing them for adulthood? You know what would happen if we took that seriously as a church? Your kids would be some of the best students in the class. 
Your kids would give it their all on the athletic field. Your kids would recognize their talent with a musical instrument as something that God has given them, and it should be honed and crafted and and cultivated for his glory and for the good of his creation. Why? Because when we prepare our kids for eternity, we help them see that everything they do, they should do as unto the Lord. When they play in the school band, They play in the school band not because they like the band director, but because they recognize that God has gifted them and they have the opportunity to use that gift to the glory of God. They recognize it on the athletic field, that they didn't get on that athletic field because of anything that they did, but because God gifted them with some natural skills and abilities and he gave them the opportunity to hone those skills and abilities that they should indeed use those those gifts for the glory of God. Did you guys catch the NFL? I know the NFL's in a little bit of a predicament right now with this whole kneeling for the the national anthem thing. I get that. But did you catch the stuff in the middle of all this where the Philadelphia Eagles were baptizing players in the hotel pool before the the football game? We're worried about them kneeling in the national anthem, and we've got an NFL team that's actively evangelizing its players, and they're baptizing each other in the hotel pool. They're athletes who are making a lot of money but they're using their platform as a means to glorify God. And even those children who who sometimes struggle academically, if they recognize that they are doing their schoolwork for the glory of God, then even the C that they are proud of on the test is a testament of what what hard work can do because if they didn't put in the hard work, they might have got an F. I believe that if we'll spend the time necessary preparing our kids for eternity, we'll find that they're well prepared for life on planet Earth as well. Yet we spend more and more time preparing them for life on planet Earth. And sometimes eternity gets put on the back burner. Recently, a study was published called the, it was from UCLA, it was called the Freshman Survey. The Freshman Survey was a survey of first-time students at 184 U.S. colleges and universities. It's a big survey. It's a big study that's done. And this study was particularly concerned about the religious background and activity of these first-time college students. You know, we hear all the time that our colleges are liberal, that professors are liberal, and they're taking religion out of our kids when we send them off to these colleges. But what this study found is that a majority of the kids who were in college had already given up on their faith before they ever got there. That, that we think that it's happening in college, and what this study actually found is that, is that a majority of those kids who've abandoned their faith did so before they ever graduated high school. In other words, it's not college that's causing us to lose our kids and lose that next generation. The reality is is we're losing our kids before they get there. Which means one thing. It means that we as moms and dads and we as churches are not taking this one command as seriously as we should. Moms and dads, you may have the best athlete on the football field. You may have the best, the best center on the basketball team. You may have the first chair trumpet player in the marching band. You may have an artist who can paint and draw and do all kinds of things with his hands. But if we're not making sure that our kids' hearts are right with the Lord, 
then what difference does it matter if they're valedictorian or if they're the band captain or if they're the all-star quarterback? What difference do those things matter if their heart's far from the Lord? Your school's not going to do that. Your church is handcuffed in doing that. Moms and dads, grandmas and grandpas, it comes down to you because you've got them more than anybody else. Children, obey your parents because this is right. Even when they're mean, even when they're dumb, obey your parents. Even when they're embarrassing, you better especially obey them then because they're going to be more embarrassing if you don't. Dads, moms, don't anger your children unnecessarily. Don't provoke them in a way that pushes them away. But discipline them in a way that draws them to you. Discipline them in a way that reflects God's discipline for you. It's designed to restore and right wrong fellowship. And more than anything, teach those kids the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. Would you pray with me, please? God, thank you for your word to parents and children today. God, I pray that you will help, help us to know how to be obedient to mom and dad. Lord, help us to know how to love our children and sometimes sometimes love them with discipline. That help us to recognize that our highest calling is not to raise an athlete or a genius. But our highest calling is to raise a disciple. And so, Lord, while we invest our time and our money and our miles putting our kids in position to succeed, Jesus' words ring loud. What does it profit a man to gain the whole world, yet forfeit his very soul? May the investment in my kids' faith be the most important investment that I make. God, I pray today if there's any here under the sound of my voice that don't yet have a relationship with Christ, that today would be the day that they would do that, that they would recognize that maybe they rebelled against their parents, Lord, but ultimately they were rebelling against you. And that today they recognize that you are calling them to relationship with you, that you want to deal with all the sin of their past, that you want to pay the penalty for their sin as you did through Jesus on the cross that you want them in a right relationship with you. God, give them the courage to face that today. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. We're going to stand and have a time of invitation. If you'd like to pray, you're welcome to. Maybe you're here and you're not a believer. Today's a good day to give your heart to Jesus. Let's stand together and sing as, uh, as, as, as uh, we conclude. Uh.
worship King Jesus Day. Amen. Uh, pay attention to your bulletin. Uh, all the announcements are there for you. Uh, you want to know the schedule and things like that that are, that are going on. Uh, it's important also as we get closer to the holiday season here that, uh, that you read that bulletin because uh, things are about to get a little crazy around here with, uh, with schedules and things like that. So do know what's going on. Um, and I do believe that is all. I'm going to ask uh, Brian to come up and dismiss us in prayer. Before we pray, Mike encouraged me to give a little sermonette, something that he feels like deacons should do, and uh, he said, don't make it so long that they have to sit back down, but, you know, sort of pour your heart out a little bit. So, but what I do want to bring your attention to is that October is Pastor Appreciation Month. Hopefully you saw the email about that, and uh, so, so we want to celebrate our, our pastors and our staff, and this t- tends to be something that every year... We almost let slip by because anytime we take the, you know, a responsibility away from the staff and they're not there to sort of remind us that something needs to happen and send emails out and do that sort of thing, we just about miss it. So it's still October, so it's still Pastor Appreciation Month, so we can put a check mark in that box. But, uh, <clears throat> but seriously, we need to appreciate them every month, every week, you know, every moment, remember to pray for them, but... Uh, October is a month that we set aside uh, to honor them. So uh, we need to appreciate the fact that we have such great leadership uh, in our church and uh, stable, uh, biblically um, you know, minded, uh, or biblically based teaching. Um, you know, we have a, this is not a real popular time to bring a message, um, you know, from, from the Bible. I mean, it's not politically correct. Um, it's not uh, easily received by the world. Uh, which is all the more uh, reason to appreciate uh, the the folks that we have uh, in leadership. Now, a lot of y'all are ready to hit the back door. You want to say, hey, Pastor, I didn't know that the Tenth Commandment was about moonshine. We want to point out their mistakes. Don't steal. I don't, I don't know what that was about, but <clears throat> some of y'all were wanted to get here this morning and be like, hey, did you watch football yesterday? This is not the week for that, Okay. We can do that in November, we can do that in July, but let's not do those kind of things in October. Let's appreciate 
our pastors and our staff. So we will be taking up a love offering. So if I can get a couple of gentlemen to block the back door, uh, <clears throat> then we will do that on the way out. So please make sure that you let them know uh, how much you appreciate them uh, and the staff as a whole through giving and through a love offering. So with that, Mike, was that enough? Okay. <clears throat> All right, with that, let's pray. <clears throat> Dear God, thank you so much for this day, and I, I do thank you for uh, the staff and the, and the pastors that you've uh, provided to our church. Dear God, we thank you for uh, their willingness to be obedient to you and uh, and, and to uh, open your word and, and, and pour through it. And, and dear God, just bring your revelation to us uh, faithfully each week. Uh, we pray that you will uh, guard their hearts and guard their families, uh, dear God, as they uh, walk this journey with us. We pray that you will bless them um, every day as they serve you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.